Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the first Stuart Dallas goal of the podcast. We couldn't, could we? And I'm joined by the second Stuart Dallas goal of the podcast, Tom Alderson. Oh my goodness, we actually could. And finally, the Liam Cooper red card challenge of the podcast. <laughs> With all of the conviction, but none of the finesse. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? I'm very, very well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I, I uh, have to say I made some deeply improbable noises when that when that winner <laughs> went in yesterday. It was, uh, yeah, I think m- my dog felt like I was trying to communicate with him on, on his own <laughs> level. I think it was, it was quite the day. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and Tom Alderson, how are you? I'm very well. I actually, um, I injured my foot when Rafinha didn't score when he was through one-on-one. Yeah, I gave myself a dead leg at that point by punching myself in the thigh. <laughs> I kicked the chair, injured my foot, and then when we scored, I kicked the same foot. So like, I just doubled down on it, and it's like still quite hurts quite a bit. <laughs> Dickhead. <laughs> yes, but I mean, all of this talk about beating Manchester City is all well and good, but the real news this week is that Adam Forshaw is in fact back playing football on a real football pitch with real human beings and. Although the questions are raised that if Adam Forshaw plays on a football pitch uh, and there's no one there to see him, did it ever actually happen? But it's the beginning of hopefully the possibility that we might actually see Adam Forshaw playing for Leeds at some point. My wife's harp is out of the room, otherwise I'd I'd give us a nice ringing C chord at that news. (laughs) (laughs) But all excitement to look forward to. There's an under-23s game on on Friday and Adam Forshaw could be playing in that so get it in your diaries set the clocks call your relatives make sure that everyone knows the good news but I guess we should get back to the the little matter of a 2-1 win against Manchester City away from home I'll start with the uh, the usual custom of how did that feel Tom Alderson how did that feel fucking brilliant it was <laughs> well, just that's probably like the, the two Man City matches are probably the only matches this season where like I've properly enjoyed them and as much as I can due to like the everything going on like no crowds not being at the stadium because I was watching I was watching yesterday and I was like 
when I was like, oh, I was I was optimistic when the City team sheet came out because obviously it's still a very good team, but it's their probably not even their second best team, which is ridiculous to say it is because when you look at their bench, because um, I thought, oh, we we could have a go here, and then we, we scored, and I was like. Oh, we could definitely get something then. I, I was pretty well. I was really wound up by the red card, and when I calmed down, I realised it was probably it was it was right. But I was very wound up at the time, and then I was just expecting nothing. But my, I think my heart rate must have been about two hundred beats per minute in that second half because I was I felt like I was about to have a heart attack. And then yeah, like, like I'm sure we all did. I just ran around my house uh, celebrating when, when uh, Dallas scored that last minute winner. This is very much travelling into the realms of uh, counterfactuals, but. Do we kind of think that the red card, in a in a way, actually helped us? In that, if we'd have not gone down a player, we probably would have carried on playing the way that we were playing in the first half, and we might have been a little bit more open. Yeah, that to an extent, I can imagine that's true because we'd have we probably wouldn't have well, we would definitely wouldn't have sat back. We know that um, more than enough now. So we'd have probably you do expect that they'd have brought on like Foden and I can't remember who they brought on, but um, even like De Bruyne or Mahrez might have come on. And they, 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 you could see them easily coming away with like a 2-1 win and us being happy with the performance, only losing 2-1 and giving a good show. So yeah, the, I, I think the, I can see that being true, that actually having to sit back for once might have might have done us a favour. I'm not sure about that, you know, because because I think at, at fairly regular intervals throughout the first half, we were getting in behind their fullbacks and causing them problems in a way that we we really weren't able to in the second half. And although the result obviously came out in in you know positively for us and and that was amazing that to to an extent I did feel like it ruined the second half as a, as a kind of as a match and and I I I was kind of grumbling about how you know we 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 really weren't apart from you know f- maybe two or three times just in the last 5 minutes we basically spent the entire second half not being able to get out of our own half at all and and that I you know I felt we were defensively disciplined in the first half and able to cause them some problems um so so I, I suspect that the second half would have carried on in much the same light and I'm not sure that the that the necessary I mean you know you can never predict the outcome but I think the pattern of the game in the first half was really quite actually suiting us because City weren't making a great deal of chances but we were causing them significant problems particularly in behind Mendy. Sterling had a chance didn't he that he sort of dragged wide and then there was what the one in the second half with Bernardo Silva that I don't know how he didn't hit it on target and I just feel like with better players on and those giving them probably a bit more space I just think they probably would have found a way of getting through eventually more so I know they scored but like I think they would have probably got a couple more I mean it very much does come down to the XG and, and you know XG for single games is is what it is right it, it's not really worth looking at XG totals but this is definitely an outlier of a game regardless of which model you're looking at Leeds I don't think have had more than I mean Statsbomb have got them at 0.3 which and Statsbomb is usually the the, the most generous to, to Leeds scoring two goals from 0.3 chances and we had what two did we have two shots maybe three I think it's two shots yeah two shots two on target that's that's outlier stuff now at the same time at the other end of the field I do agree that Manchester City didn't create any really dangerous chances but they they scored chances that were more dangerous than the two that we scored from yeah but but we also didn't actually get shots off from our two most dangerous chances which is the one where Rafinha got in behind in the first half and rolled it across and Stones got that touch and then the one where Rafinha went through in the second half and never managed to get a shot off so I'd, you know like like as always XG doesn't tell the whole story of the actual chances of the game 
of course and i think everyone who watched that game will will have that sense um that you know it's not quite as simple as as it just being two chances being scored there were a couple of times so we 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 looked dangerous and um i think manchester city looked pretty weak down that left hand side with ake and and mendy and we exploited that a few times but uh at the same time, I, you know, you, you you said you felt a little bit cheated by the the red card to a certain extent, and I kind of feel the same way. I feel as though this this kind of game, yeah, obviously as a fan, it's great to win and you you really enjoy it um, when it happens. But I do feel as though we that as Tom says, like the two of the better games we've had this season have been against Manchester City, and I feel as though it would it would have been nice to to actually have gone. 11 for 11 for the whole time. I, t- I tend to think that red cards ruin games uh, anyway, regardless of the result this time around. So uh, part of me is kind of like, part of me kind of thinks I actually enjoyed the first uh, fixture between Manchester City and us more because we, I think we matched them in that. You know, we, we looked competent in that game. Whereas this game was like, we were completely dominated in the same way that we were dominated in we were dominating in games last season and, and losing um, and that a part of me maybe it's just the broken brain part of me but just for, sort of feels as though that there's a little bit of injustice to that kind of thing and um, uh, I just like the neat and tidiness of like going out playing well and getting a result rather than you know going out we played well of course but but sort of smash and grabbing a little bit um, I suppose absolutely and there, there are two things about that really for me one of which is that although I felt cheated by the by the red card happening I don't feel cheated by the decision for the red card which I felt was absolutely the correct decision and I just want to kind of say that really clearly um, and the second one was that that the kind, these kind of games where you, where you go away from home against a really good team and you you know you get a man sent off or or in, in another case that I can think of and we got two men sent off and you get a result they're kind of once a generation games and and the kind of um you know nothing will ever feel better to me than that than Dallas going through in that last minute and scoring that was just an amazing moment but that's all it was it was one amazing moment in in a second half which I actually found quite boring actually and and difficult to watch um and you know, it was just the turnaround from the sense of ine- inevitability that I had when I said to my wife at half time, who was pretending to listen to me, um, you know, th- that that's ruined the game. They're probably going to go on and score two or three or four in the second half, and that's that's kind of the end of that. And th- and it was it was the emotional turnaround which made it exciting, not not actually the game itself. You mentioned the the challenge. I'm not one personally who likes to talk about refereeing decisions in general, but I think. As you mentioned, Darren, it's probably worth talking about the, the red card decision at this point. Um, for me, definite red card. And I think part of the problem with people judging this is that they they see that um, Cooper gets the ball first. But I think if you read the rules, the language of the rules suggests that, you know, even if you win the ball, if you go in in a way that is dangerous, then you get punished for that. And I think it was the right decision on that basis. If you endanger the safety of opponent, you leave yourself open to a red card, and 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 well, you know, I don't, I don't think there was anything at all malicious about it. I just think it was a bit overzealous, and and he definitely catches him with the studs in the knee. And if that's not endangering an opponent, then I'm I'm not quite sure what is. Let's move on to the questions then. As always, we had far too many for us to fit them all in, so do bear with us. Um, first couple were about what we talked about with the XG. So Neil Maltby says, is this payback for all those championship games we lost by conceding every shot on target? Um, Callum Archibald says, is this, is this what it feels to like to be on the right end of getting XG'd? So uh, yeah, I think uh, as we've said, yeah, very much so. You've got um, Tom's put a uh, shot map in the uh, in our running order for the podcast. And it's a, that's a very beautiful thing. <laughs> 
the Jackson Pollock-esque chaos of the Manchester City shot map <laughs> with uh, the beautiful simplicity of the Leeds United two shots from pretty much exactly the same uh, spot on the pitch. So, yeah, um, it's well worth having a look, see if you can find a, a shot map from the game because well, it is a beautiful thing. Let's put it on Twitter afterwards. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah. also had some interesting quotes after the game. Um, Phil Hay tweeted, Bielsa on how often Leeds practice scenarios where they're totally defensive. If you said nada, never. Nothing that happened today had any influence from my part, but I will bear it in mind to train like this. Uh, the other thing that Bielsa said, I think, was um, that it was a very cryptic comment, as all of his comments tend to be. But it, he was suggesting that, that Leeds didn't deserve to win, but they also did deserve to win. Um, and I think what he was saying is if you look at the... I guess if you look at the match events, then you would say probably Leeds didn't deserve to win it, but because of the the passion and and the uh, and the the will to to just buckle down, sit deep, and and then get the keep it level so that we could have a chance of of getting the win. I, I think that's what he was talking about there. I think Guardiola said the exact same thing as well. He was like, "We did deserve to win, but we also didn't deserve to win." So they're just there hugging each other in the center circle about who deserves to win more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we had a question about this anyway from Lewis Finney. He said, as much as I believe what he says here, does Bielsa deserve any credit for that? He made structural changes and obviously the work he's been doing for the last three years was a huge factor. Um, yeah, what do we what do we make of, of that? Because um, I suppose for me, the interesting thing about y- yesterday's game was that it was like the first chance we've had to see the man-marking system being a player down in the Premier League. Um, one of my friends actually said to me that the last time we had a we were down to 10 men in the Premier League. The red card went to Mark Viduka. So that just goes to show the last time the last time we were in this sort of scenario in, in the top division of English football. But what did we, what did we make of the um, of the, the you know the structural changes that we made and, and how we looked in, in particularly the second half after the red card, Tom? I find it difficult to say that we were still man to man, really, because I yeah. think it was just a case of we put a lot of defenders in and sat behind the ball and what I find weird like Bielsa does have to take credit for this because it's basically just a a really weird murder ball session isn't it and like if anything it's probably easier for these guys than the murder ball session because they don't have to run as much they can just sit behind the ball but they're just this the the concentration and like a lot of teams probably wouldn't go down the end over end just but the concentration that you get from those high pressure situations you've got to give Bielsa credit for um so yeah I also just to go back to another point we were talking about earlier, I don't know how fans of other teams d- do this like West Brom, where they like they sit behind the ball and then like bag, we'll try and bag one of these every game. I just couldn't deal with it for more than forty-five minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would definitely say it's uh, Bielsa's credit, and he also, I think maybe in previous years he wouldn't have put a def- extra defenders on and tried to do this. I think he might have still tried to play the same way, and we might have ended up just getting ripped to shreds. So I, th- I think he has also shown some sort of adap- um, adapting to the Premier League that he hasn't shown in the past. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I don't know because I, I think there were there were numerous games last season where where he made def- changes later on and would bring Berardi on to try and just put an extra defensive presence on the pitch. And uh, you know, I, I didn't feel like the change to bring Cock on for Ty was it Cock for Tyler Roberts. I didn't necessarily feel that 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 was a bad call, but but I actually think that. Um, in in kind of uh, giving giving the praise to the players by by a mission of praising himself, I think I think Bielsa's got it absolutely spot on because I felt that really that that was a result that was generated 
just by the sheer force of will, by the sheer force of commitment, by determination, the stuff you can't measure, the stuff that, that we, we don't normally talk about on, the, on, on this podcast because you just simply cannot kind of put any tangible measure on it. But, but I thought we defended our 18-yard line absolutely magnificently, and I agree. I thought we, to an extent, we did, you know, kind of abandon the man-to-man system, particularly, particularly as they got closer to the box. And, and I just thought it was just really a case of, you know, digging the result out. And I know that there have been times this season in the Premier League, and the, the Burnley match particularly comes to mind, where we've had to dig a result out by defending the 18-yard line, and it's felt very different because because we were up against Burnley, with all due respect to them, um, and 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 not not Man City. But but it, it, yeah, I just felt that that really the result yesterday is absolutely the to the to the credit of of the players and and the way that they managed to stay with stay with it and and make sure that they you know followed their runners, concentrated, blocked the space off, all the stuff that we sort of have suspected that they're not really capable of doing. For all for all Man, you know, uh, Man City's dominance, Melier only really had one difficult save to make in the entire match. Yeah, I think a few things to say here. First thing is, that, as you mentioned, Darren, it's, it's hard to read into what Bielsa says because I think a lot of what he says in press conferences is much designed to be heard by his players than it is to be heard by the public. Um which is why we've talked about this before. At times in the in the previous seasons, we've had Bielsa talking about how about seven or eight players have been the most important players for us this season. Um, so, so that that is one thing to say. The other thing to say is I like your point, Tom, about the the murder ball sessions. Actually, maybe the man to man wasn't there. I I haven't rewatched. This is the first time I've not rewatched a game uh, before we've recorded. So apologies for that. So I've not really um, kept a close eye on what actually happened after the red card. Uh, I will do that later today. I've just been too busy to get around to it in the last couple of days but um what i would say is we, yes we play in a man marking system but we also play in a ball oriented press system and i think this kind of game suits us as well um we've got a lot of players who are good at getting to the ball and just sort of closing down opponents and uh, again tom woodhead pointed this out in the preview episode just saying actually playing man-to-man and pressing against a team like Manchester City actually probably works for us quite well because they are trying to manipulate through moving uh, moving people around and, and finding space and we know f- from the opposite direction um, what it's like to, to be playing against teams where you're obviously playing better football than them uh, but you don't get quite fashion quite the chances that you need to but that still requires for defenders to play to play well and I think the fact that we are used to playing in those sorts of scenarios where we have to get to the ball quickly and you know Calvin Phillips I thought didn't look particularly great in the first half but in the second half really came into his own because that's the sort of game he likes to play he he is a ball orientated mobile defender who can get around and, and cause problems and I thought he had a, a pretty good game in the second half on that basis so I think that does come down to Bielsa's credit as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I just think that 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 defensively we're quite smart because by by choosing to to kind of defend quite narrow on the eighteen yard line, we we were really restricting City to putting crosses in. And if if there's one team in the league that you're going to be quite comfortable with them throwing crosses into the box, particularly when De Bruyne is not on the pitch, it's City because I think that their kind of aerial presence is is probably the only team in the division that's worse than ours, um, and from an attacking point of view. So I I, I just I felt that all all round, yeah, Bielsa and the team 
um, managed managed the game as smartly as you possibly could and gave themselves the best possible opportunity to try dig something out. We do seem to be sitting a little bit more deeper. We People are talking about Bielsa's pragmatism, but I think we were pragmatic before the red card. So Liam Broxham says, before the red, it looked like we are sitting in more of a deeper mid-block. Was that City just push, pushing us further back? At times, Bamford was as deep as the centre mid would be. And then Colin Forbes says, was it me? But was Bamford actually only playing as a striker in possession, but dropping to midfield out of possession? Also clever to take a striker off and use fitness to counter-attack defenders who had ventured forward. Um, yeah, what do we make of this, Tom Alderson? Uh, it, it did seem a little bit more... Uh, I guess circumspect as an approach. I, I don't think I've. I think I mentioned this in the group chat when the game was going on. I just don't think I've ever seen us play quite that deep against an opponent before. In the first game, it was that was they were causing us a lot of problems, and especially in the first sort of twenty-five minutes. Um, and I wonder if we've learned from that. And if we we've all expressed our concerns on Lorente before, and I think maybe if it, we had been in a higher line then the the chances of someone like probably Sterling especially to have a run at him or running behind him could have caused him problems and it it, it helped Lorenzo and it's, it made him look where well, he had a very good game um so i think i think there is some sort of tr- truth in that they also i think they pressed us a bit differently didn't they in the in the first game they were quite happy for us to sort of give the ball to the fullbacks from the kickoff and then they would press us and try and sort of funnel us through the center of the pitch and then win the ball back and try and sort of get us in transition. Whereas this time they didn't even want us to get the ball from the kickoff. They were just saying, we're going to just, it's very similar to how we um, Arsenal press us. They're going to sort of um, funnel us down one side, press that player and then win the ball back even quicker than just letting us sort of pass it about uh, the back for a bit. Yeah, I agree with that. I think in terms of the structure of the press, it was very similar, like we said, to the Arsenal game. Um, invite the ball in, the clipped ball into the fullbacks, um, particularly Alioski, and then press from there. Uh, but I actually think Leeds... Leeds were quite, again, pragmatic insofar as when we got the ball out. We couldn't get it out to our centre-backs, really, but um, we did quite well just sort of getting the ball into the full-backs and then getting it down down the line. I didn't think we, in the first half, I didn't think we protected possession particularly well, but, you know, we were playing against Man City and we've struggled to protect possession against most teams in the Premier League this season. But um, we definitely had that out ball that I've mentioned down the down our right-hand side, their left left back position um, which you know we saw I think we saw Cooper to be honest actually hit that channel quite well a few times uh, got um, Rafinha in behind um, quite a bit so yeah I, it, it was it, it was you know as we've said like it was very unusual Bielsa tactics but I think there was, there was a realisation that you know that's you go to Manchester City that's the way that you get you get um, results. Absolutely and there have been times this season haven't there when, when we've kind of not really changed our our tactics and, and played a bit more pragmatically until we've had significant problems in the game quite often at half time you know we've, we've we've been a bit more direct after half time and i i you know obviously going going a bit more direct right from the start was was the correct decision in that game because we realistically we weren't going to have the quality to play through their press in the way that i think bielsa would like to in his idealized uh, version of football um just i wanted to just come back to the bamford thing i think he was just trying to um, I think he the reason he was dropping deeper into midfield was that I think he was tasked with trying to stop Fernandinho um, and, and Roberts was therefore pushing up onto the strikers um, and, and there, were, there were times when that worked quite well um, but there were also times when I thought 
Fernandinho was able to stroll through the centre of the pitch at will in the first half, and and that 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 didn't really work. So I think I think overall, you know, kind of going to a deeper deeper low low block uh, as we did in the second half worked to our advantage from that point of view. That kind of helped the or sort of stopped their centre backs dribbling out for, to some extent as well as much as they as they could do as well. Yeah, I'm interested in your thoughts on just tweeted before that John Stone's got something like 863 yards of progressive carries in that game. But he lost the 15 yards for Dallas, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it was clearly an issue in that game. There's a few times where Fernandinho ran through. It seemed as though we were we were not happy to let them them run through, but we were sort of accepting that they were going to do that to a certain extent. Um and that was happening before we went down to 10 men. And after 10 men, it was just, they didn't even need to transition. <laughs> they were just constantly like in our half after that point. So I think after the red card, you don't worry so much about that kind of thing. And I mean, what we did worry about was, was that John Stones was like getting to the edge of the box and shooting. <laughs> um, that was that he was looking like he was playing as a central midfielder. And I'm, I'm going to find his heat map for the game after this because I'm actually quite interested to see what it looks like. But um, I guess my, my, my question to you guys is, before the red card how did you feel about the fact that you know their center back was able to just and and to a, to an extent i mean aki did a, a huge amount of progressive carrying as well uh, relatively speaking i think I mean, there's an obvious uh, discrepancy between how good the rest of the players on the field were and a, a couple of players like aki and, and mendy i thought but even he was was getting fairly decent uh, distance and doing that kind of uh, that kind of pausing thing where you sort of get the ball, wait for the the team to sort of respond, and then drive into the space in front of you when they kind of think that they're not gonna that they're not gonna uh, sort of attack that space. How do how do we feel about that? Was it was that just was that just our inability to press properly? Was that just was that um, a consequence of the fact that it did look as though we were maybe marking a little bit more zonally in the central midfield space? Yeah, I I felt very much that. I felt we weren't really trying to press them. A- with with any sort of um, intensity, really up in their in their final third, I thought I felt we were quite content really to draw them onto us and and to let them run run into run into players really, it, which is what was happening. You know, eventually they were kind of running out of space to run into, and then and then they had to pick a pass. And although, yeah, you know, with, with the best will in the world, uh, you know, I thought John Stones was actually really good yesterday, despite my little slide dig at him <laughs> a minute ago. Um, I thought I thought he was, you know, he was he was great uh, really, and. Um, he, but but if you're going to allow one of their players to to run to the edge of your box with the ball at his feet, you're going to want it to be one of their centre halves. And I thought it was kind of quite a pragmatic decision to to kind of allow them to carry into that space and make sure that that the men that they would be looking to pass to were all marked and that the spaces were cut off. And I felt that we did that really well both in the first half and in the second half. Do we think that when we play against a team like Manchester United, who we are playing soon, right? Two weeks, I think. Two weeks today. Two weeks. Is, is it Liverpool then Manchester United? Liverpool yeah. on on Monday, a week okay. on Monday. How do we feel about that game? Do we feel as though there will be that level of pragmatism here in that game as well, or because we've spent so much time being like Bielsa isn't going to be pragmatic, and then against this City team, he's being quite pragmatic. I mean, I know the City team have been they've been pretty much winning everything since we last played them. Uh, obviously, they lost to Manchester United. Um, 
do you think Bielsa has just sort of taken that situation and been like, this is a very good team, we play pragmatically against them? And what do you think it was going to look like against teams like Liverpool and Manchester United who, I mean, Manchester United in particular, who are going to cause us problems in tran- transition, right? Well, I sort of feel like the pragmatism goes further back than that because I feel like the like getting walloped 6-2 at Old Trafford was actually the thing which triggered Bielsa to start approaching things in a more pragmatic way. I think that was what really kind of preempted the move of Dallas into the midfield and the more zonal the more zonal approach of the eight. So I, I think that we'll see we'll see a continuation of that rather than rather than a, a change for a one or two off game. I I I feel like we we were we were all saying, weren't we, after that that Man United game that we've really got to stop emptying the midfield so quickly that we can't have both the eights going beyond the ball. Now one of the problems in that game was it wasn't just the eights, it was also Calvin Phillips running beyond the ball and leaving enormous spaces. So I, I suspect that we'll see something really quite similar to yesterday and I think it'll just t- it'll just come down to, in, in the Man United game, I feel like it'll just come down to who manages to take their chances when in, in the transitions most effectively, um, which, you know, is a kind of, is a, is a bit of a lottery, but you'd, you'd still kind of favour them given the quality that, if, that they've got in attacking positions. We've seen a lot of people rightly praising Stuart Dallas and a lot of people saying, look, how can you possibly not play Dallas next season? But for me, that the game yesterday is pretty indicative of, of the problems with that kind of approach because it, it feels to me that we've made a very calculated decision there. We are not going to be able to compete with Manchester City in the central midfield area. So we're going to essentially play defensively um, and we're not going to try and possess the ball. We're going to try and uh, decompress really quickly through Rafinha, who is our creative outlet, and see what we can get. And it, it feels to me that if you if you have that attitude in approaching games in the future, I mean, obviously, it, when you're playing against Manchester City, that's all well and good. But the question for me is, do you want to be that kind of team then that, that sort of starts digging in against teams to stay in the Premier League? We've been very critical, I think, of, of clubs like Sheffield United, who... You know they played good football in their in their first season in the Premier League, uh, but they they didn't make those sorts of transfers that they maybe should have done to actually improve the quality of the game that they play. Um, for example, we've talked a lot this season already about how we can't protect possession. Bielsa plays a certain way where he wants to possess the ball. For me, the issue here is that if we get into the mindset of of being like you know, we're good enough to beat teams like Manchester City in outlier games like this. The problem is, is that you lose sight of what it is that Bielsa probably wants to do in the long run. And you you start bringing in, you start playing a a form of football, which takes your best players as the ceiling for the the club. and, And you develop your tactics around those players. Whereas what you should be doing is you should, as we talked about before, and Bielsa does, is have this idealistic approach to tactics and say, where can we, how can we play better? How can we start, you know, turning teams over in the mid-table in the Premier League and becoming the, not the underdog in those games, but the, the the team who who deserves to win and who teams are fear, fearing for. So, I, I guess my question for you guys is: is is this is this pragmatism just sort of oh we're playing Manchester City or and 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 that's that? Or do you think that you, we will see it sort of creeping in in general? I think it's because we're playing Man City, and well, I'd hope it's because we're playing Man City, and I think the long-term plan you'd imagine is to improve like we'll, we'll try and play this in the same way and if you can improve the squad and i know see people have said oh we should play dallas but if you can imp- like get a player that can do what dallas does but better then obviously it's going to raise the level of the squad and you'd obviously the long-term goal is then to be able to impose yourself 
on these teams. We'll never, we're, we're a long way and we're probably never going to be able to do this to Man City, but just to some teams, say like Leicester or even like sort of Villa and those those sort of teams just below Europe, the the, the aim is to imp- got to be able to imp- impose yourself on those teams by just improving the squad and playing the way we have. And I think the reason why, if you play the style of football we do, you can imp- and like you can play it with the level of players we've got. It's t- it's imp- sort of easier to improve, I think, and sort of stay in the league rather than sort of like the. I'm going back to West Brom again. There's probably there are other teams that do it there. You just try and sit deep and try and nick a goal as we do do yesterday, and it's just a very low percentage play. Like, how often are you going to s- score two goals from 0.3 xg? Whereas I think this year we've kind of matched our xg, so we we are where we are because we should be, and we're not we're not going to. I, we, we, we could probably go another three years and not nick a 2-1 against Man City from 0.3 XG quite easily. I think that one of the things we've, we've done really well, and I know I keep I, th- I think I, I keep talking about the game at Old Trafford because I think it's a real watermark in our season. And I think that what we've done since then is we've tried to narrow the gap between our best results and our worst results. And I, I think that, that that was the kind of low point of our season in the, in the sense that it was clear that if we came up against really good teams... And we tried to go at them in the same way that we went at teams in the championship. That teams like Man United, like Spurs with their attacking talent, to an extent like Arsenal, were, were going to be able to pick us off because they've got a great degree of quality. So I, I actually think that what that what Bielsa has done is he's made a, a pragmatic decision, which is just really about getting us through the second half of the season without taking as many thumpings, without and and, and giving ourselves a chance in games like the Chelsea game the other week and like the one yesterday of, of at least trying to nick something in those games and and, and it's I, I accept that next season and it, and in fact what I really want is is next season I want to see from the summer I want this, I want to see sign-ins improve the lowest quality parts of the team I want to see you know a, a, a left back brought in who can support our build up play I want to see an eight who can go in and as much as it pains me to say it because I love Stuart Dallas but I want to see someone who can who can use the ball in tight spaces better than Dallas can and and but can also do his pressing and then I think you'll see a return to the sort of football that that we have been more used to seeing from Bielsa where he's he's trying to control the ball in the vast majority of games and I think that what but I I just think that he's made a decision towards towards the end of this season that that he doesn't want us to be on the end of big hammerings and and I I absolutely applaud and respect that as a decision because it's it's meant that that you could go into yesterday's game without the same degree of fear that you might have gone into it had we kept the same open approach and kept trying to play a midfield that looks like um Rodrigo and and Click as, as the two eights which is just so open um so it's a bit long-winded, but no, I agree. Uh, I, I totally agree, and I guess the point is, is that what you want in our team next season is we want to be able to play our high press. I don't think we've high pressed well for for ages. Maybe even back to that, you know, that Manchester United game. Maybe that's when it started turning around. Once we started playing Dallas as as a, a zonal eight, and look, Dallas's pressing numbers are way down. Like we've talked about this before, and that's that's because he is encouraged to to be pragmatic in those scenarios and and to make decisions about whether to press or whether to to drop a deep drop deeper and help out with with his um, center midfielder partners and you know it's worked it's worked out well for us but i think bielsa will have this ideal plan where you bring in someone who is able to do it's not even able to do the work that dallas is doing who's able to do the work that Rodrigo isn't able to do. I think that's what it comes down to. And you bring in an attacking player who is very pressy, is good off the ball, but also has a level of creativity which is 
going to be higher than Stuart Dallas because with all the best will in the world, and I love Stuart Dallas as a player, I love Stuart Dallas as a person, which I think is you know arguably more important um, in, in these scenarios as, as a fan. Um, but at the same time, this is what modern football is. You know, you can, it, we, we are a podcast that does look at the processes and, and, and looks at improving. So I do feel guilty sort of not passing off Dallas because I think that he'll he'll be around for, I think he'll be around for the rest of his main, mainline career. Um, but I think that what we do need is we need someone who is able to do pressing, creativity, um, and, you know, is, is able to play a little bit further up. And so we don't need that zonal player and with someone who can possess the ball better so we're not constantly losing the ball. And so... Um, and and that's got to be the that's got to be the thing. But then we are going to talk in a minute about how great Stuart Dallas is. So take all of this with a pinch of salt. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, just to kind of follow up on that point, John, like you said, Dallas is going to be around next season, and he's going to be the first backup for three positions. He's going to be the first backup for left back and right back, and 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 in the eights. And he'll probably get. I think there will be games next season where Bielsa decides to take a similar, more pragmatic approach, like he did yesterday, and he'll play as an eight as a first choice, and that'll be absolutely the right decision um and he'll be a backup where where you go you know you'll probably play 25 to 30 games as start as a result of that and you'll go well he's just going to do a really solid and great job and and he's and he'll be trying to win his shirt so that's fine cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, let's move on to talk about the second half down to 10 men. Rehan says, how bloody well did we play? Second half, dug in, held our ground, defended brilliantly and won it. All of them man of the match. And Giancarlo Sandoval says, what was the shape that Leeds took after going down to 10? They shut down opportunities quite well and were really patient. Um, Tom Alderson, what did you make of Leeds down to 10 men? I don't think there's a lot tactically you can say about it. I think they just, a lot of it just like, they they dug in really well. They like, so it's it's really hard to say. Um, I think one thing, and, I, and most people have watched matches a day, but they, they picked out like they put there was a lot of like sort of a lot of men behind the ball. But if someone was on the edge of the box, someone would run out and sort of close them down quickly, which I thought worked well. I think that was mainly Phillips. I sort of saw Stroik do it quite a bit, and I think maybe Lorente did it a bit as well. And you've mentioned already, Darren, that they were, we were sort of quite happy for them to put crosses in because. We've, we've we had three centre backs on the pitch, which is very very rare for us. And so you'd actually back us to beat sort of like someone like Jesus or I don't know Bernardo Silva or Sterling aerially. So they were, it was, I think the approach we took was was good. I, I, but I don't think there's a lot more you can say about it than that. It was really good defending. We've seen we've seen teams do that against us, right? We've seen I think. Wolves did that quite well against us. I think Brighton, for example, another team who did that really well against us. You get three 
classic centre backs, as you say, in the in the middle, and then invite the the opposition to only cross the ball in and make sure you clear clear your lines. Um, requires a, a certain amount of of organisation. It requires a certain amount of concentration. Um, I also think you know it it, it is something which I think suits players. I think players like to be in that sort of situation because they know what is, you know, is, is expected of them. Um, and I think in a system like Bielsa's, which is really complicated when you're playing, you're sort of playing positional play that you're trying to build up the ball through and create space and overloads and whatever, you know, it's quite nice. But I, I, I'm sure the players quite like going back to basics and just being like, we know what we've got to do here. Keep your back line, keep narrow, keep compact, don't have spaces, volume men, um, make sure that you're, you're organised enough to, to press through, um, to push through onto players on the outside of the box. And, you know, it, it, I think the fact that if you look back at the City goal and how relatively easy it was for them to play through us, um, I say advisedly that's that just is a testament to how well we just defended for the rest of the time because all it took there was a couple of quick passes dragging Strauch across uh, and then Calvin Phillips not tracking or not being able to track the player who who then um, Ferran Torres who then went through and scored um, it, it looks that simple when you get it right but you know, there was a good 60 minutes of, of that. It felt like that we were just, it's not 60, but it's, it's what, it's uh, 50 minutes of that at least, plus stoppage time at both halves. So it was a decent chunk of time that we had to constantly make sure that that wasn't happening. Yeah, absolutely magnificent, you know. And, and, and as a defender, you should love that sort of thing, you know, getting getting your foot in, heading things, tackling people, knocking people out of the way. That's That should be what, you know, that should be absolutely... Uh, bread and butter and, and I thought they they all and I know that I've been critical of Urente in the past and, and and whatever but but I think that he he was quite good because his task was really clear he didn't have to make any decisions really he just had to make sure that he got he got to the got to the ball followed his man when 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 the when the attacker was was close to him and yeah they they were superb it looked to me like we just decided to go basically with a 5-4 didn't and then spring Costa and or Rafinha um, when when we got opportunities to do so, um, and and I was I I kind of came away from the my first watch of the game kind of feeling like that that we really had kind of sacrificed our width uh, in 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 doing that you know in, in our attacking width when when we broke. But actually, when I watched it back, I was really surprised by just how wide and how quickly we decompressed and and, and made the pitch big again, even down to ten men. And that speaks to a real kind of bravery and commitment to to kind of stretch in the pitch as much as we possibly could. And our, and our, goal, our goal came from that, in fact, our winning goal. Let's talk about the Bamford substitution. So Steve McCall said, fantastic result. Can you think of why Bamford was taken off instead of Roberts? Is Roberts better at pressing recently? Do the stats back this up? Wiggy says, I was surprised we took off Bamford. Do you think we should have removed Roberts first instead of Bamford, as Bamford would have been a better outlet? Darren, what did you make of that? No, I, I felt it was it was more to do with what we were going to do once we had the ball again than, than what we were going to do off the ball. So I, I just I feel like you probably think that if if Bamford's receiving the ball in the midfield area when you're going to be playing a kind of effectively a five and then, and then a line of four, then I think Roberts has probably got a better chance of getting us up the pitch somehow, either by running with the ball or by finding a good pass into wide areas um, than, than Bamford would. I just think it was nothing more complicated than that. We made the decision that we weren't going to be trying to hold the ball up yeah. in forward areas, uh, in which case, if that's going to be the way you approach it, you much prefer Roberts in that scenario yeah. because Roberts is a player who's going to be more dynamic on the ball than, than Bamford. So that would be that would be my answer to that question. Do you agree with that, Tom? Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. The, the only other thing that came to mind with this is I wonder if he's still carrying a little bit of a knock 
and um, again, when, when we were talking about the pressing, when we were, had eleven players as well, when it was sort of it was more Roberts engaging and uh, Costa engaging their ba- centre backs. I wonder if that that was made a little bit of a decision with that was because Bamford's still carrying a bit of a knock, and maybe he can't. They don't want him to do as much of that sort of pressing as usual. But that's just it could be absolute bollocks. And you, could, uh, but the two points you made is I think are right. Stuart Dallas, we've already touched on a little bit, but let's talk about the the, the game yesterday uh, and give him his fair due because I think we've talked about him more conceptually in general so far in the podcast. Um, Callum Archibald says, please just talk about how beautiful Stuart Dallas is for the entire pod. I can't speak. Um, Arnie B said, if we had a team of Melier and 11 Stuart Dallases, how high would we finish? Um, he's pluralised Dallases with ES, which I quite like. <laughs> <laughs> a man who deserves his own form of uh, pluralisation, so appreciate that, Arnie. And Matthew Pitt says, Dallas for Ballon d'Or. Um, obviously, much much credit deserved for, for Dallas. He's been he's been an absolute um, revelation for us this season. Um, and, I'm, well, I have been made to eat my words regularly. Um, people out there constantly reminding me of the fact that Josh Hobbs and I were always a little bit critical of playing Dallas as a centre midfielder. Uh, but here we are. Um, my, I've eaten my hat I've done all of the things that you're supposed to do in these situations so I'll pass this over to you guys um, who wants to kick off and talk about how, how good Stuart Dallas was yesterday recently he's just been absolutely fucking outstanding and you can't really say anything more than that he, he, he just does absolutely anything the team requires he he never ever stops running I, 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 I think I said after the Crawley game that, that one of the things that I really admire and like about Dallas is how for the rest of the team he kind of sets the physical standard and 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 make you know he kind of keeps everybody honest because he's always going to be working at 100% of his capacity throughout the entire game and you know he I, I can't think of anyone that deserves you know getting the two goals more yesterday just just because of the the way that he has managed to help Bielsa to solve some really quite clear problems that we, that we had with the team so i you know for, for all that i may it might might sound like we were been a bit mealy mouthed about him earlier that's just through through a lack of trying to be trying not to be sentimental um but but in but in terms of the credit that he deserves for his impact yesterday and the credit that he deserves for his impact on the season and for running past John Stones like he wasn't there yesterday, which I really enjoyed because uh, he wasn't there. Um, you know, I, I, I just I just love the man and, and that's, that's all. I think we need some context on Darren's uh, hatred of John Stones. <laughs> I don't hate him. So at the beginning of the season, I made the point that John Stones is out of favour at Manchester City and would be a brilliant footballer to have in our system, uh, which Darren disagreed with. And um, and so obviously we this was very much the John Stones derby for the All Stats, aren't we, guys? Um, so Darren is clearly very pleased that it was John Stones who was uh, responsible for the second goal in this sense after after having completely terrorised us through the whole of the. Game. Yeah, no, I um. Well, it's just this, this thing. I don't, I don't care what defenders do going forward. It's what they do in front of their own goal that I care about. And and you know, f- for all that, I, we, we, it's an on, it's a running gag in the all stats, aren't we? Uh, group chat about my dislike of Stones. I have to say, I think he's been absolutely magnificent this season, and and <laughs> that was probably his only mistake in a league match that I can really remember, apart from a couple when he first came back into the team at the start, which we won't talk about right now. And um, so yeah, I yeah, that's that's that really. <laughs> 
Well, I'm glad that we've opened this up now to the wider audience of All Stats and We. So now whenever John Stones does something good, you will have messages in your Twitter mentions. So Cannot wait. Welcome to saying things about players and then being reminded what you said about them forever. I quite often get reminded that we said that Dallas shouldn't, shouldn't shoot. That, that <laughs> pops up in my mentions all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and again, I think the, the wider Leeds community has us to thank for the fact that we pointed out that Stuart Dallas likes to shoot from outside the box and is now the player with the most goals from outside the box in the Premier League, I believe. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, another reason why we should be praised for our bad takes rather than bemoaned for them. But Tom Alderson, I'll give you a chance to talk a little bit about Stuart Dallas if you want. We'll, we'll ignore the fact that we said that we don't like him shooting. We'll just point, we'll, go, we'll stick to the point where we just pointed out he shoots a lot. Don't tell everyone, don't tell yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, yeah, ignore that bit. <laughs> I actually, if we had Melier and 11 Stuart Dallas's, so if we had 12 players on the pitch, I think we'd actually win the Champions League. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go for that. And I think Dallas, if there's 11 of him, he's probably going to win the Ballon d'Or as well, isn't he? So, uh, but yeah, he was, to make that run right at the end, like the, the third man run, he just... Um, it was so good, and like his his run for to get into position for the first goal as well was not not as good, but was still like he left he left his man with us, so he left Fernandinho, and got into like got into the space for just to, to make it an easy ball for Bamford, and it was like they were both the the first one was actually a very good finish, um the second one I think it was straight down the middle, so we'll, we'll went for the keeper's legs. That's what you always do when you throw it. Go for the keeper's legs. Yeah, true. Yeah, especially when it's Edison, he's crap at them. So yeah, good finishing and I can't really say any more than that apart from what you guys have said. I am going to, because my brain is broken, I'm going to push back a little bit about Dallas shooting from outside the box. Obviously to the two chances that he had in the game yesterday, one of them was like a one-on-one with the keeper. That's Edison's weak spot um, coming out too quickly for, for one-on-ones, which he could probably defend better if he stayed in his own um, six-yard box. Um, the first one, I think, was it was a good finish. De- bit of a deflection off... off um, Nathan Ake, I think, which sort of perfectly took it onto the post. Um, I think one of the other long shots he scored this season was a cross that went in. I can't remember who that was against, but... Uh, Leicester. It was Leicester. Leicester, okay. And there's probably one... I think there's one, maybe one more outside the box, perhaps. Um, I can't remember, which I think was probably a good... No, no, it was the absolute shit pinger against Man United. Yeah. (laughs) So, not to detract from Stuart Dallas in any way, but um, I, you know, he he loves to shoot from outside the box. I don't have a problem with people shooting from distance, um, p- per se. I think it gets a bad rap um, because you know, you, if everyone shot from the same position, then teams would have a much easier job defending. Right? The variation of, of chances that players create is is important because it you know it 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 adds something to a defender's mind where they're thinking, oh, will the player shoot here? And that can sometimes mean, mean they rush out of position, create space in behind, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all, that's all well and good. Whether or not I would be ex- maybe encouraging Stuart Dallas to shoot from outside the box um, in the sense that we've, we've usually seen it, which is pinging it from miles with a full defence in front of him and probably better options is, is another matter entirely. Can't wait for the mentions tomorrow. That's going to be. <laughs> Pray for us, brothers. Pray for us. We've got, I think we've got a few more people we can talk about. So Neil Harding says Alioski's best game of the season. I think is Manchester City's pressing really good. Why do we struggle to maintain possession? Also, Costa seems to have sorted his form out. Looked a strong player. Lots to get into there. So thank you for for that, Neil Harding. Um, I, I should say it's really really hard to use this game as anything other than an outlier in terms of like judging players. Uh, I think that's worth saying because it is such an outlier game. Um, so I, I think 
Alioski. I mean, Alioski. Yeah, you know, look, he played that ball. He played that ball. He he looked defensively sound. Um, what more can you ask for? I mean, we we've gone we've come straight from that game against Fulham, where he was actively trying to get them to score. It felt like, um, and then we've gone into a game against one of the best teams in the world, and he's got an assist and he's defended well. So yeah, look, credit where credit is due. I, th- I thought he played a really simple game yesterday, whereas I think sometimes he try. I think he tries to tries to write checks that his body can't cash. Whereas I thought yesterday he just kind of really took a first touch, knocked the ball off, and made a run. And I thought I thought that really played into his credit yesterday. Yeah, I, I think it was a, a good game for him, and it, it will be nice to see him doing a few more of those before the end of the season because I think he was he was definitely on a trajectory, a negative trajectory, <laughs> and it's nice to see see that turned around a little bit. Um, in terms of Helder Costa, or as my dad calls him, Hilda Costa, um, or just Hilda now, Hilda. Um, because I'm, yeah, just calls him Hilda. Um, I think mainly to wind me up, but here we are. Um, but good game from him. My dad was impressed with Helder Costa yesterday, actually. Um, so, Tom Alderson, what did you make of? Co- you're a bit of a Costa advocate. You have a soft spot in your heart for Helder. I only have a soft spot for Costa because I once wrote it. That was the first article I wrote, so I feel like I have to justify <laughs> my own opinions. <laughs> no, but to be fair to him, he was very good yesterday. He worked really hard with and without the ball. Like he did well uh, for our first goal. And with, I can't remember if it was like what other games we played against like the sort of top teams, but it does seem to suit him, these games, probably more so than it suits Jack Harrison. Um, and I know we said on um, one of the Patreon live streams that I think you guys were kind of like more edging to what get rid of Costa and maybe use the money to bring someone in. But I'd I'd be quite happy to see him see him stay. And because I think in these games where probably the games where we we'd be happy to play Dallas in midfield when we're trying to be a bit more pragmatic, I think it could also be a game where it suits us playing Helder Costa. Totally agree with that. I think again. He's the sort of player that you want to have in these kind of games where you know that you're going to have to get someone who can dribble um, and decompress and, and, and hold the ball to a certain extent so that you know you have the outside chance of someone maybe catching you. I think he played played perfectly well yesterday. Uh, Darren, any takes on, on Costa? No, totally agree. I, I just think it would, in, in terms of um, the amount of space that he had to run into at times, I thought just the sort of game that, that really is likely to suit him and I, I, that doesn't, mean that he didn't play well because because he did but I think the games when he looks worse are the games when when we're when we're when we're really having the space that we've got to run into restricted and he, he struggles a lot more in those games right it's that time of the show when we have to talk about Diego Llorente so a couple of questions here Jamie Smith says there were some worries for you guys about Llorente's defending against better teams did he actually benefit from the sending off as he was able to sit deeper and not have players dribbling at him uh look we don't need to dwell on this fact I think I've been quite outspoken in the fact that I worry about Llorente when he is defending players who are running at him. I don't think he's I don't think he's bad with players in behind. I think we showed that yesterday. There's a few chances where Gabriel Jesus was running onto balls and he defended it fairly well. Uh, got his head on a few of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's my worry is is when he has players running at him at speed and particularly when players get him on t- facing the uh, right-hand touchline and then cutting back inside on his left-hand side. Sometimes think... We, we saw one example of that yesterday, actually. I can't remember who... It was, it was. a shot in the end. Was it Sterling? There was a shot that came in, and he did fairly well in that one, but there was another time where he went to the byline and, and basically got sold down the line, and the player came back inside as well. Um, but yeah, I think, for me, the the game did suit him after the red card, I think, just because everything was a bit more compact, and um, you know he, he's very good at, I think, sweeping 
I think he's a decent sweeper player. Um, so if there's a player making the the tackle in front of him, he can then he can then step up and and, and does quite well there. Um, I do have other criticisms of of Yuanse's positioning, but we won't get into that now. And I think at, at some point I am going to do a, a probably a video analysis of Yuanse because I think the conversation about Yuanse has now become so polarized between. People have like people like myself who have made critical comments of him, having to sort of confirmation bias everything one way, and then people on the other hand who think that he's the best defender that Leeds have ever had on the other, which I don't think is the case. Um, and Fitzroy Bagger says, just how good was Urente today? Is he making himself indispensable? Well, I don't think he's making himself indispensable. I think he's playing really well. But I think if Robin Koch played there, I don't, you know, what 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 would the difference be there? And I think the difference would be maybe. Urente is going to pass out better from the back. Um, I don't even think there's that much in it, so I don't think he's. I don't think we need to get carried away with it. But it's he's definitely proved me wrong in terms of. Uh, I thought that we would maybe see more mistakes than we have seen. I, I thought also that um, he was. Yeah, I, I look. I, we don't need to talk about this too much longer because I know it bores everyone. But I'll pass this over to you guys. Um, what did you make of Urente? I thought he played well. To be honest, I think. I agree with what you're saying that if he's not 45 minutes where he's the ball's in front of him and players aren't really going to dribble past him, he's going to suit him. And um, you've also said in the chat many times like he's an active defender and that that also is going to make him look like he's good and probably then you're not going to put, see his mistakes as much. But yeah, I think he, he was good yesterday. I still do have reservations about him against probably more so in the Liverpool and Man United games because it's, it's when... I'm just thinking like Rashford running at him is gonna not be not be nice at all. Um, but into, he's not indispensable. But I would say that he's obviously got it's his position at the moment that right centre back role, and hmm. it's hit like he, Cock needs to sort of get to that level. It's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a case of even though Cock was probably our first choice signing, and then Lorente was brought in to back him up. Lorente is the first choice for that position at the moment. Yeah, mm, yeah. I'd say that Rashford running at anyone isn't fun, and I, I remember spe- very specifically Rashford sitting Ben White down once at the start of the season and and and, and scoring. So I, I, you know, I don't. I think if if anyone that's one on one against Rashford is going to struggle, but um, I suppose I suppose what I'd say is about about Urente is that. The, the concerns that I have are mostly about his positioning and they were still present for me yesterday in the first half. But they weren't, they didn't, man, you know, they didn't lead to any big chances. They didn't lead to any particular mistakes. And and it may just be that, that he's someone who I'm just going to have to get used to his positioning not being what I personally like to see from defenders. And I'm, I am prepared to accept that. The other thing that I want to say is that although I've got reservations about Irente, whenever I've got reservations about a player, whenever I criticise them, I want them to prove me wrong. And, and I, I want them to be better than I think they are. Um, and and I, I think that he, he did play very well yesterday. I thought he, he defended properly for the most part. Uh, in 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 a game where that was absolutely what we needed him to do, um, th- there were three occasions in the first half when I was a bit unhappy with him. But beyond that, I f- I felt he was I felt he was really solid. He's a fine line defender. I de- describe yeah, him as. I agree. And that what I mean by that is that he commits to challenges, and at the moment it's coming off. And I just think that you know. As we saw with Cooper yesterday, Cooper's maybe a little bit like this as well. I think Cooper's maybe a little bit of a fine line defender, and. I just kind of find it funny that that what is perceived of as being absolutely awful in Cooper 
is not conceived of as being absolutely awful when Llorente does it. And I think that's met, it's largely because it's come off so far. But even in the game yesterday, there was one moment where, you know, he came through, cleared the ball out of play. But, you know, if he if he gets the timing that slightly wrong, you just kind of think that's going to be, it's going to be a tackle similar to, to Cooper's. There's, there was the chance, I think, against uh, Sheffield United where I think it was McGoldrick, won the ball off someone and he was one-on-one with Llorente and took a heavy touch. And it's those sort of situations where I think if if he gets the timing wrong on his challenge there, he's gone all in for it. But, he, you know, in the Premier League, players are good enough to exploit that. And I think, you know, it's only a matter of time before we see something like that happening. And then the question is how people feel about that kind of thing. Um so yeah, I, I, that's 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 my only my only sort of qualifier here is that is that yes everything's coming off right now, um, but when you do play on that sort of in that fine line where you do jump into challenges, you do step up to things um, that you you are just more likely to make more glaring mistakes like that. So equally, you get the benefit of that as well. We talk about how Urente is a front foot defender and he does, you know, keeps the momentum um, in certain certain situations. You know, he is positive. He does carry the ball forward. He does pass the ball forward. And so, and he does sort of keep leads um, uh, moving forward in that sense. So you, you have to take the good with the bad as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and like, I know we always talk about Bielsa's idealised football and, and, and in Bielsa's idealised football, Urente w- w- will probably be very good because what we'll re- we require him to do is to kind of make sure that he steps out and stops breakaways and keeps, keeps us on on the front foot and you know there's there's absolutely no doubt that he is really really good at that um uh, so that uh, yeah that's it i am aware that we do end up talking about your at the end of every episode so next week we're not going to talk about him please I don't care how good or bad he is yeah good <laughs> he's going to score a hat trick next week <laughs> <laughs> no questions about your next week and if there are we'll just ignore them yeah <laughs> We will be back during the week with a Liverpool preview and we will be looking forward to that game. be interesting to see how Liverpool are, no doubt, given that they have been shaky, but they do seem to be sort of turning themselves around a bit. So hopefully this will give us a good game. If you can't wait until then, we do have a few things coming out on the Patreon feed, no doubt. Um, I will be doing a video analysis of something. I'm going to try and get hold of Adam Forshaw's video um, and maybe do a bit of analysis of that. But short of that, I will do. Um, I'll do a video of the Man City game probably. Uh, I just think it's a tough game to to make too many tactical observations about. But if you do want, do want to check out the videos that we already have up or the uh, Q and A's that we've put out, then do go to www.patreon.com or forward slash all stats, aren't we? And if you haven't caught up with the most recent episode of Auto's List. We covered uh, attacking midfielders last week. Me, Josh, Hobbs and Joe Donahue of Leeds Live. So uh, if you haven't caught that, you can either go to our YouTube channel and find it there or you can listen to it in podcast form on the channel that you're listening to this on. And I think that brings us to the end of the, the podcast. So all there is for me to do is to say thank you, Darren. Thank you. And thank you, John. Thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.